Hear me out. Oh, hi. Here we are. And here we all have been for 11 days of mandatory quarantine. I'm assuming most people are having similar experiences. At least we can all do it together, but also alone. I'm Charlie Brooke, and this is Hear Me Out. And it's about to get quarantine crazy, which I think is actually probably propelling the content creating sector. Is it a sector that we're in? Because damn, there's some weird ass energy in the world these days. How you feeling? I hope you're feeling safe and also taking this time to do something that you've been putting off for a while, like organizing your goddamn underwear drawer. We sure are going to have really organized closets that will also then be randomly super unorganized and then randomly reorganized again and then not and then again and then not and then a few more times after that because follow through with cleanliness is not really my strong suit. And did I mention we see no foreseeable end to this? You know something else that we don't see a foreseeable end to? rape culture, which is why here on Hear Me Out, the podcast, we like to talk about what up with that so that hopefully one day we can eventually iron out the kinks of this culture that are bunching up the pantyhose of our lives. Yeah, so if you haven't listened to this podcast yet, it's not always exactly like this, but it is a thing where we watch movies from the past and talk about how they have perpetuated us or perpetuated rape culture in the media, as we say on Hear Me Out. And we do this to help improve the sitch and just to better understand why we all are the way we are. But also, can you ever really know? This whole quarantine thing has made this podcast easier to do in the sense that I have so much time to watch movies and dissect them for their negativity against women, minorities, and other intersectional feminist things. And not only that, but watching this style of movie is just exactly what we all need right now, it turns out, i.e. your favorite trashy rom-coms and old faithfuls. And this episode's movie is the perfect embodiment of that. Now, we have a lot to cover and I got my frantic energy going on, so we're just gonna go ahead and get started with the movie that you already know is how to lose a guy in 10 days. How to lose a guy in 10 days? More like how to keep our most negative gender stereotypes as defined as possible so that men and women can continue to undermine each other with them. If you haven't seen it or you don't remember, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is the ultimate 2003 romantic comedy about a kick-ass fun girl named Andy and a typical guy, Ben, uh, played by attractive people Kate Hudson and Matthew McConaughey. Damn, they are really at their prime in this movie, and they both truly know it. She is a hardcore journalist turned how-to writer. For what this movie loves to remind us is a girly magazine, meaning that she spends her time writing boppy fun stories that help women learn how to do certain things like pull off pumps, something that I seriously don't know how to do. Um, she's not too happy with the situation, but her boss says that if she does well with her next story, she'll let her write about anything. Um, Andy aspires for politics, human crisis, things of this nature that apparently women would never care about, which is why they can't put it in the magazine. Can't we live in a world where women are interested in both things? Meanwhile, Andy's best friend, played by funny person Catherine Hahn, also hot, has just been broken up with because she did that thing that women do, which is push men away. Quotes, quotes, quotes. Um, she also works at the magazine, and uh, there at the magazine, a breakup is pure inspiration. So the editor wants someone to use it as um, inspiration for one of their pieces. Andy accepts the task, saying that she'll write a how-to piece on um, what not to do in a relationship, aka how to lose a guy in 10 days. I have to say, this was another great watch for the pod. This is one of those movies that I watched all of the time with my friends, my sister, my mom, and it played an important role in what I thought I wasn't supposed to do in relationships and how women ruin relationships with their 
whole business. There's a lot there to talk about, um, but watching it again truly brought me so much joy. Mostly because it's pure drama, drama, drama. So get ready because we're about to break down some gender stereotypes about heteronormative relationships with a movie that basically formed them for many of us. So let's get started with our first chapter. Chapter 1. Bitches be crazy. Okay, so if you haven't listened to the He's Just Not That Into You episode of this podcast, you might want to because this is basically part two of that episode because you know we're dealing with a standard bitches be crazy sort of attitude that really and truly isn't great. But this time it's like we're in this weird vortex in which a cool girl, another female trap that I've spoken about on this podcast before, but that I'll get into a little further um, in, a, in a little bit. This cool girl Andy is not actually acting as the bitches be crazy representative, but demonstrating what that behavior looks like while also being like, but that's so not me. She's basically a living representation of I am not like those other girls which is the person girls often become simply to escape the bitches be crazy stereotype that pervades us. But yet she's still representing the bitches be crazy, so it's a little puzzling. If you're confused, that's fair. The world is confusing. But let's make it a little less confusing by breaking this down a little bit. First of all, I just want to say that in this episode, there will be a lot of talking about women versus men, which is, in fact, the sort of the very sort of language that I hope we can avoid in the future. But for now, we have to focus on it um, in this way in order to understand the stereotypes to then break them down, you know? So, if you didn't know, this movie is actually based on a book by the same name by two ladies named Michelle Alexander and Jeannie Long. Um, it was a self-help book of sorts written by the two who have had more than 100 failed relationships between them in which they put together all the reasons why they lost these guys. I think the description of the book will really uh, give you a good taste of what we're dealing with here, so I'm just gonna go ahead and read it to you. Quote, here is a laugh-out-loud, dead-on send-up of all of those bad habits members of the dating game need to break in order to get a life. Er, dot dot dot, a relationship. If these sound familiar, you too could be a member of the club because you are halfway to losing your guy. Do you have sex on the first night you meet? Start calling him your boyfriend the next morning. Maybe drive by his house. Ask him if you're fat. Stalk him more. Memorize all the words of his favorite CDs. Call all of his friends for advice on the second day of your, of your relationship, which is in quotes. Here's everything you need to know to go all the way in just 10 days. Okay, so where to begin? Where to begin? First of all, not loving the implication that having sex on the first night isn't great, plus a lot of these things um, seem like exaggerations to me, especially for um, just the first 10 days, but I guess I can't speak for us all. But where I want to focus is on their little joke there about equating a woman's life to a relationship. Let me re-quote. Break these habits in order to get a life. Er, dot, 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 a relationship. The er, yes, is a direct quote. I know it's a little thing and this book was written in the 90s when our definition of an independent woman was a little bit different than what it is today, but this little moment, even the fact that it was a joke that these women felt was funny, says a lot. And we can say that we're progressive feminists all we want, the little er, as tiny as it may seem, is still absolutely living its purpose through many heteronormative relationships across the world. Have you ever seen a friend, a lady friend to be specific, just absolutely losing their shit over a failed relationship of even just a few months, one week, or a few weeks, to the point where you're like, do you even like this guy? Because your upset does not seem to be related to the actual relationship you were in, more the fact that you are now no longer in one. This is a direct symptom of this 
er that we've been shoving down women's throats since the beginning. A woman's life in our mainstream culture has always been about finding a relationship and starting a family. And sure, we've heard tales of amazing women even throughout history like Hypatia of ancient Greece who never married during her life and instead focused on her work. And these examples did their best to break the mold, but they were usually punished for that by society. In Pipatia's case, she was assaulted, kidnapped, beat, and murdered with roof tiles, which doesn't exactly make other women want to follow suit, am I right? Now I know you all know this because you're a cool feminist who's in with the times and understands that now we're about empowering women to follow their dreams, to choose not to have children if they don't want to, or do if they want to, or to become high-powered badasses in the corporate world, whatever they want. But that does not make this er any less prevalent when it comes to our dating and general socialization. For some reason, we can intellectualize concepts of feminism like you wouldn't believe. Even integrate it into the way we think and act with our friends. Sometimes even be able to tell a stranger on the street, hey, not cool. But the second we're thrown into the fire of telling a boss you shouldn't refer to a female client like that, or not being able to turn down a second date with that guy, sorry, heteronormative, but again, these are heteronormative problems, because he sucked and was clearly not as feminist as you need him to be, and no, you don't have the patience to teach him everything. A little yes, but come on, man, read a book. And despite all of this, you still go on a second date, or even more, not sleeping with that guy, again, because he did not take the time to figure out what's going on with your body before letting his body be like, okay, this sexy moment is over. For some reason, in these moments, the most ingrained part about being the generalized idea of a female comes out, submissiveness. Again, this is all a culture. I'm talking about cultural generalities. You know what the deal is. But this er, this idea that our lives should mean a relationship, still controls a lot of how we date today and how we interact in relationships. Now, males, of course, um, too, have a lot of pressures to find relationships, but I do think it's inherently different. Their worth was never equated to being in a relationship. While being in a relationship was a good thing or is a good thing, it wasn't who they were. It wasn't their identity. They have always had real identities like eh, doctor, lawyer, carpenter, etc. They had bigger plans for the family, like bringing them honor through their success at work, not bringing them honor for being attractive and quiet enough to keep a man. Obviously, that's not as prevalent today in many cultures. In others, yes but it's the history that has created the present. That's why the backlash to always referring to women as the person's wife is such a big deal because that's been the female identity, being someone's wife. Example, does anyone know what Nick Lachey's wife name is? Because literally all the way through my love is blind moment, she was Nick Lachey's um, wife and she was definitely the more compelling of the two. I mean, why can't I just learn her name? We equate being a woman to belonging to someone. I know now we don't intellectually, but as it's a culture, the sentiment behind it hasn't quite changed, or at least we still have remnants of that. And this is how they play out. So for the straight woman, finding a man has always basically been the main goal. Do remember how most movies up until well into the 2000s had female characters whose only function was to fall in love. The same cannot be said for men. And if it wasn't the main goal for certain women, it was their parents' main goal for their daughter. And if you remember the conversations between, let's say, daughter and mom about snagging a man, it was always talk of what you can do to catch their attention and then make sure you do not scare them away. The onus was always on the daughter to not only attract the man enough to get him to come, like, ooh, distract him with how good you smell and then do your best to slowly weasel your way into his life before he really notices that he can't live without you. So while the man is out there focusing on things like personal success, all of a sudden, blam, you're his wife. I mean, we like to joke about it, but 
is kind of a thing. And even like the MRS degree, which I think I've talked about this before in the podcast, but the fact that there are a lot of young women who go to university simply because they expect to find a husband while they're there. I mean, that still is a thing. And so how can we say that this culture doesn't still exist? And on top of all of this, uh, the suggestion was always um, to remember to be subtle about it. Because if he's aware you're getting too involved in his life, then he might just get freaked out and leave. So basically, the generalized implication of all of, of, all of it is, is that the woman is always the one that is at risk of losing the man. Scaring away the man. Doing something to make him not want to be in the relationship anymore. That's not to say that men haven't been scared to lose relationships, but there's this implication that if they did, they would still have a life to get back to. I mean, it's only in the past few decades that women were empowered to work and be able to support themselves. And now we might not have this idea that the men need to support us, maybe some do, but we still experience this need to be in a relationship. And this is messed up because it's now created this balance where women are afraid that relationships are going to go away. Remember the thing that they were always taught they should covet above everything else? And for that reason, they accept a lot more shit than they need to, and they get a little bit more, for lack of a better word, clingy. And that's what created your very upset female friend who somehow already put most of herself into a very short glimpse at a relationship because of how much she's been taught to value having one. So when the guy did that thing that we see in stories where he bolts and runs, just like the story always says, unless we're talking about Runaway Bride, which is a whole different story perhaps to be investigated here, then the woman is left wondering what she did wrong. And according to this narrative, we tell ourselves, it was a lot. But is it not possible that she was following a very specific script? One that we were given at basically birth about how women are meant to value relationships? One that causes her to care more about being in a relationship than the relationship itself? A script that literally has told her that bitches be crazy and you actually have to learn to hide that in order to have a man. And that the guy she was dating who left was also following his part of the script, which tells him to read her emotional availability and desire to find love, something, again, she was told she should want as cutting off his freedom which doesn't fit well for his role as manly untamable dude and also that bitches be crazy so you gotta get out quick and where do these ideas come from Yes, I'm talking about how to lose a guy in 10 days. So in the movie, Catherine Hahn is very upset about her breakup, but as the movie goes on, you start to learn that she is one of these stereotypical crazy bitches who does uh, those things that women always do to push a, a guy away, the things that Andy is going to do to scare away the man in her little experiment of losing a guy in 10 days. Let's take a listen, shall we? Hi! <laughs> Good morning, sunshine. Okay, get dressed. Get dressed. Staff meeting 15 minutes. Let's go. I'm going back to bed. I have no reason to live. Sun's out. Why does this always happen to me? Things are going great for like a week and a half, and then all of a sudden it's over, and I am mystified. Seriously, I am mystified because it always starts out so well. Oh, well, Mike and I had such a connection. The first time that we had sex, it was so beautiful. I cried. You cried? Yeah. You mean like one glistening tear on your cheek, right? No, I was really emotional. I even told him that I loved him. After how many days? Five, two. That's how I felt. I wanted to express myself. Okay. Well, what did he say? 
Mike didn't have to say anything. I know that he felt the same. But then he started getting really busy, and I didn't know where he was. I kept calling him, calling him. He was never kept home. calling him? I didn't leave a message. He didn't know it was me. My number's blocked. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he thought it was one of his friends. You know, men frequently call their friends answering machines and hang up 20 times. Anyway, I know why he dumped me. I'm too fat. You're, You're not, not fat. fat! Before the 10 days are up, I'm gonna have this guy running for his life. <laughs> You're not gonna burn his apartment down or bite him or anything, are you? No. I'm gonna limit myself to doing everything girls do wrong in relationships. Basically, everything we know guys hate. I'll be clingy, needy. Be touchy-feely. Yeah. Ooh, call him in the middle of the night and tell him everything you had to eat that day. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Now, this is very clearly a joke in the movie, an over-exaggeration, but they're talking about a stereotype that exists, which we know because it wouldn't be funny if it didn't. And don't get me wrong, I find it very amusing, this whole movie, but that doesn't make it any less bad. So why does this stereotype have to exist? Why is it that a lot of women fall into this mold of being the clingy, obsessive girlfriend? I myself often find that I become that, or worse, that this stereotype is being put on me before I've even had a chance to react. And it's not fair because I live my life trying to avoid being that person. So why is it that it comes up in the first place? Because these women are following a pattern that they see everywhere. Like, we've been handed that script and it's natural to take on the role without even thinking about it. We can want to not be that person, but we have to come to that realization ourselves and still fight everyone else in the world thinking we're going to be that anyway. So really, the, the, the lesson we need to learn is, is twofold. One, teaching women, and two, teaching people who assume women are going to behave like that, women included. So what to teach them? I think as we start to teach women to value relationships less and themselves more, we'll notice that in fact a lot of women aren't shrew psychos who just need you to love them. We'll probably see a lot more women who can clearly know from the start, hey, that guy isn't for me. And no, I don't need to go on as many dates as he asks me to find that out. Or they'll be able to say, hey, I do like this guy, but he can't give me what I'm looking for, so I'm not going to just accept every little love kernel, shout out to Rachel Boom from Crazy Ice Girlfriend for that one, and let that sustain me in a bad situation over being alone, which is a perfectly good thing to be. Because you know what happens when we stick to this narrative of relationships being the most important thing in a woman's life? We get women doing quote-unquote crazy things to make sure that they keep the relationship. And because of this other narrative that we have, again, also a toxic narrative, that men are always just going to be interested in sleeping around, then what do you expect is going to happen when we put those two toxic narratives together? I refuse to let myself believe, or let any of you believe for that matter, that it's just inherently female that women are crazy or too much, that we have something inside of us that makes us clingy, that pushes men away. If anything, we're all clingy. It's not gender-based. No way that it's just female. That's a narrative that's based on the culture that women have been taught to be more expressive with their emotions and men have been taught to be less expressive with theirs. When you put the two together, you get women who push men to open about things that they don't want to because that's how they've been taught to communicate. And you have men who'll say things like, you're insane, because that's how they've been taught is a normal way to brush aside the kind of behavior that is making them uncomfortable. It's been done throughout history and it's a very functional tactic. Now we're gonna talk all about men and um, these just as cultural and negative stereotypes that, uh, that affect them in our next chapter. But women, here's what we need to do. 
Step one, learn how to value ourselves more than having a relationship. It's a practice, something we have to work on all through dating and even well into relationships. We tell ourselves we do that, but let's be honest, it's really effing hard. Just remember, you will not break if it doesn't work out. You do not need him to support you nor complete you. You are a strong lady whose number one function in life is not to be in love, despite what we've inadvertently been told for all of time. So don't feel bad if it lives in you. And once you're in a relationship, you should still carry this through. They don't have to be the only thing that you have. And they shouldn't be, because you have so much. You're a cool ass lady. Step two. In the moments when you just want to push the guy into opening up about something that he doesn't want to, remember that mostly, mostly, again, these are very generalized things, we've been taught to communicate differently. Hopefully this will change, but for now, just take that into account. You are not the crazy stereotype for wanting to communicate this way, so don't let someone push you into becoming that because you're frustrated. The script may say it, but we don't have to be that. And someone who makes you feel like that and won't listen when you explain that it isn't fair that you become that in the relationship maybe isn't a positive person for you to be with. It takes two to not have a productive discussion about feelings, so remember that. That being said, you don't want to avoid this stereotype of crazy bitch so much that you go too far in the other direction and become a cool girl version of yourself. It's so fun being a woman. So uh, the cool girl stereotype that Andy takes on in this movie is a trap we fall into when we're trying not to be associated with the crazy girl stereotype. Super fun. Um, this happens when you're so scared of that stereotype and all of the negativity that men have expressed surrounding it that you become not like those other girls. But... You don't want to be just that one cool girl that's not like the other girls. What's wrong with the other girls? They can be just as cool and not detract away from your coolness. Empowered women, empower women. Please refer to how there can be multiple fun, interesting, and cool guys in a friend group. I.e. It worked for women too. And actually is pretty well demonstrated in this movie with those three amazing female friends. So Andy, she's a cool girl and like really... She's pretty cool, but you can tell that the movie is trying to use that stereotype, like pushing it down our throats, that she's a cool girl who likes basketball and eats whatever she wants, so that when she plays crazy, it's fun, not horrible. We like seeing this cool girl acting crazy because we know secretly that she's not like that. She's cool, which is nice that it's fun, but is confusing because then we're like, okay, so where do we land in between those two things? Please refer back to the two steps from before. So before I get into the next chapter, let's uh, do some necessary plot. Um, Andy decides to take on this story, the how to lose a guy in 10 days. And uh, her boss tells these two ladies who work in an advertising agency who happened to be in the office that day, just kind of being like, oh, listen to this crazy story that she's doing. Later that evening, while Andy is on the prowl for the perfect guy for the experiment, Benjamin is also there having um, or trying to woo his boss into giving him a diamond account. He also works at the advertising agency um, that the boss is planning to give to the two ladies from before. They somehow get Ben to bet that he can get a girl to fall in love with him in 10 days. And if he wins, he'll get the account. But they only do this because they see Andy in the bar and choose her as the girl that he needs to get to fall in love with him, knowing full well that she was going to be spending the next days, uh, the next 10 days trying to drive him away. And my memory of these girls is that they were the worst. But watching it again, I'm like, Ben's kinda a work dick. 
Jake, who is constantly undermining their work because they're women and because, and I don't know, he's just like being sexually creepy. For example. What are you reading, girl? You catching up on your current events? Turn on tricks, how to make him hot. You know, if you want to try those out sometime, we should get Green together. and I have an appointment at Composure. What? Warren gave it to the Judys. Spears and Green, they're already on it. No way! Yeah. Well, you know, he's kind of partial to hot, leggy chicks. For yeah, some and reason. we're the, you know, the sneakers and beer division. Precious gems aren't exactly our forte. Lips and hips are over to Chicks Magazine right now. I gotta get to Warren before they sink their feet. You can't, you can't. He's on a plane. Sinabra. Actually on their side and it makes me sad that back then we hated them which again it's a culture so team Spears and green on this one and I think that's the biggest takeaway we actually like them so now that you've had your first taste of the dear Ben let's get on into that with chapter 2 chapter 2 of course you work in advertising Ben okay sorry cheap shot but come on since we're talking about stereotypes here, we have to admit, they really nailed it. So, if Andy is the cool girl and Catherine Hahn is the bitch that be Cray and Spears and Green are the media bitches, then Ben is that unattached, afraid of commitment guy who is very charming, but basically a dick. I mean... Look, I love women. I do. Whether they're 4, 40, or my 88-year-old grandmother, I respect women. Right? And I also listen to women. And that's why I can sell myself to any woman, anywhere, anytime. You get it. So Andy and Ben start dating, him trying to get her to stay with him for 10 days, and her trying to push him away in 10 days. And the hilarity ensues. As I've already said many times, this movie is really smart and fun because of this, which is what makes it so hard to rip apart in this way, because I'm happy that it exists, um, despite all of this ridiculousness that they go through. Like, remember the couple's therapy moments? So despite all of this ridiculousness, you still get to see these two hot people, spoiler alert, find love in a hopeless place, and become real with each other and it's so fun but as we've learned these problems still exist and we have to talk about it so just like all of the aforementioned stereotypes are unfair for women ben's stereotypically bro-y character is not fair for men either there are a lot of men out there who probably feel very uncomfortable with how men are characterized as assholes from the start and by just hanging out with their friends and dicking around they could become that and I get that, men are just as much pigeonholed into being something as women are, and that causes a lot of problems just the same. But the difference is, um, is that these stereotypes are not quite as damaging to their reputation in the same way, because kind of asshole guys are still very much accepted into our culture. Um, they're forgiven for a whole lot, and yeah, you know, that style of behavior is still very much given the time of day in terms of power. Do I really need to give examples? And we don't use um, the fact that they are assholes to undermine their work or contribution to the world. In fact, quite the opposite. Usually we're more likely to laugh and be like, what a dick, and then just keep going on our merry way. So it's easier to be a kind of asshole and still have power in your job and your relationship, etc. I mean, many people's favorite characters um, and shows are the asshole dudes. Um, now the part that I want to focus on here within the asshole stereotype is the fact that men are and should be afraid of commitment and are more likely to sleep around uh, than women. It's another one of them pesky social truths that we've written into existence, passing on the message that men and women are just like that. It's in our DNA. And whenever you try to argue that it's not true, people will always be like, but it's science. 
There are studies that show that women are looking for longer-term partners because their bodies are telling them that they should want someone to impregnate them, whereas men's bodies are simply more adapted for seeking out multiple partners. It's science. Well, then I highly suggest that you read Testosterone Rex by Cordelia Fine about unmaking the myths of our gendered minds, which is a science book and won the Science Book Prize from the Royal Society that takes a deeper look at the scientific experiments that have become the backbone of what we center ideas of male and female sexual patterns. And in fact, um, some of the main research that we base our ideas of sexual selection from, the Bateman theory to be exact, which demonstrated the idea of male promiscuity and female selectedness actually has a lot of holes. Fine actually says, after studying evolutionary biologists Brian Snyder and um, Patricia Gowati's reevaluation re of Bateman's work, that Bateman lacked, quote, computational aids, more sophisticated statistical methods, and perhaps, I can dare to add, 50 years of feminist insights into how cultural beliefs can affect the scientific process, yes, girl. And this is not me debating whether science exists or questioning its importance slash significance, because I know that it is, but the people who were studying these topics before were mostly men. And more importantly, the people who then found these studies and used them to prove our cultural myths were likely lacking a balanced perspective, as fine proves in this amazing book. Truly read it if you're interested. So a lot of this is just stories that we tell ourselves that then become reality. It's like its own version of Stockholm Syndrome, except that it's cultural myths that are holding you captive. The more you tell me that I shouldn't want to sleep around and should only want one partner, the more I'm going to believe that's true. And the same for men for not wanting relationships. Another way that this doesn't help men or women either is the fact that this whole insane cultural landscape has made it so that men are encouraged and kind of peer pressured into being promiscuous horn dogs, meaning that they're always looking for attractive ladies, as the script says. Then you mix that with our history of impossible beauty standards for women, and you literally create problems where women are just like, you must want to be fucking that other girl instead, because that's literally what everyone keeps telling me that men will want to do, and also my self-esteem is low because all I see on the internet is stereotypically attractive ladies. Do you see what I'm getting at here? We are in a minefield of toxic gendered stereotypes that's packed neatly into a feel-good movie about hot people falling in love and it's so confusing. Now I'm almost done here, um, but it wouldn't be this chapter without taking a moment to point out a joke about men not understanding women because it's hilarious how unreadable we are, isn't it? Alright, they say a diamond is forever. We say a diamond is for everyone. I like that. Yes. We don't. A diamond is for everyone sends the message that diamonds are everywhere, which means they're not rare. And if they're not rare, they lose their status. Status is the reason to buy them in the first place, which Benjamin would know if he understood women, but you don't. <laughs> <laughs> you can't feel bad about that, Ben. No man does. That's really helping the cause, man. But truly, these kinds of jokes have been passed around for so long. Oh, the differences between men and women. I mean, we do it the the reverse, too. And it just, it's not helpful. It just makes it more confusing. It lets us off the hook for trying to understand the other um, and keeps us completely separate, which is just what creates this minefield. So just consider that. Next time, Uncle Jim, you want to tell that joke about how you don't get women. So in the end, Catherine Hahn, posing as a couple's therapist, suggests the couple goes to visit um, Ben's family in Staten Island, and there Andy plays bullshit with them, a silly card game that actually is never as fun as this movie makes it seem it is, but just has the perfect name and concept for the narrative that they wanted to create. 
And we assume um, slowly they start to realize that she actually really likes this guy and doesn't want to be pushing him away anymore. So they go to this party and Ben wins the account because he uh, is seen with Andy there who is clearly in love with him. But then they both find out that they've been tricking each other and it's a whole thing. And then they like break up and then Andy still writes the article and it's really beautiful and really amazing. And her boss says, you can write whatever you want, but still means like shoes or or hair or things like that. So then Andy's like, I'm out and she tries to go to D.C. But as she's going away in the taxi, Ben tries to come find her because he read the article and he drives on his motorcycle and they're on the bridge but they can't stop on the bridge because it's new york what are you doing but then a taxi driver does stop and he's like uh you really want to leave and then she's like yeah i have my own life and then he's like bullshit and you know it all comes back around um yeah and then they are together and that's the end of the film so now that we got that out of the way we can finally make it to Chapter 3. What about everyone else? Okay, we've used a lot of time because there's a lot to say, so this last chapter is going to be very short. Just a brief moment to ask, what about everyone else? All the people who are in relationships that aren't heteronormative. Our mainstream never allowed us to go traversing down the paths of dating in this way, and I hope it does, because it is fascinating to speak with people about dating, and there are a lot more interesting stories to tell than the guy was afraid of commitment and so the girl went a little kooky. And finally, since we're all here and we could use um, a little something good, here's just a few stellar moments from the movie. You are, aren't you? The first night. I can't believe you. Michelle, I'm not going to sleep with him. Oh, you're such a hussy. You can't hide those light eyes. No, no, because I can practice some self-control, unlike some people I know. Oh, really? That hurts kind of... Call me, let you slip. Okay, bye. <laughs> this Princess Sophia go around play. Hmm? <clears throat> Who's Princess <sighs> Sophia? <gasps> no, 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 no. <gasps> no, no, you, 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 you're kidding me, right? Princess Sophia? Little big, little big. I don't know. We will find out. Tomorrow night. What happens tomorrow night? Only the most exhilarating and artistic display of athletic competition known to mankind. The ice capades are in town. No, the NBA finals are in town, and I get <laughs> Come with me. All right, I'll go. But I am not putting out. Two stale jumbo dogs and a couple of beers, you'll be whistling on different tuna. <laughs> too, too fast. fast. Yeah. I want you to respect me. I do. Okay. And I want your respect. I respect you for respecting me. I respect that. Good. Yes, mutual respect and girls liking sports. I highly suggest you take a moment out of all of the hours over the next few weeks that you have um, available to watch this movie because it's definitely still as fun as it was before, albeit horrible for dating. And that's how How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days Perpetue Rape Does. Yeah! Um, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast. You, If you did, 
feel free to uh, subscribe and leave messages or say something nice. And um, also, if you have any movies that you think should be covered, uh, please reach out to me uh, on Instagram, Charlobrook, which is Charlo with three O's, B-R-O-K, or through my website, permeout.com. And I'm also going to be having people on the podcast soon to do episodes about movies that perpetuate them. So if you're a smart lady, feel free to reach out. Um, And yeah, here we are. Hope that you make it through. You will. We can do it. And just keep remembering, though, that even when you're inside your house and you're not talking to other people, that it's a culture, people.